Uh, but the truth is, um, you know, emotions change, feelings change. The Word of God is living and alive, and it doesn't change. It changes things. And if we will shape our lives around the Word of God um, and around the direction that the Bible gives us, it, it's ever-living. It breathes life into our everyday lives, and we can receive. It doesn't matter how old, how long ago it was written. Um, it was spoken by the breath of God and directed. And I love following the life of King David. How many of you love King David? So we know that he wasn't just a king. Uh, he was a shepherd. He was a worshiper. He was a warrior. Um, he had many job titles, so to speak. He was bivocational for much of his life uh, until he came into his own. And I want to speak to you this morning about keeping your heart clean when the fighting gets dirty. You know, this message is called The Right Fight, and I haven't spoken on it before, and um, I, but it's, it's a part of a book that I'm working on right now, and I feel that the enemy so wants to engage us, just like he did with Jesus in the wilderness. His temptation was, throw yourself down, get in the fighting ring with me. I, I want to go a couple rounds with you and beat you up and, uh, and, and, and cause you to question who you are and whether or not the word that you just received was really from God. And, you know, we have to know what fight we're anointed to win and what fights are not the right fight. Which ones we are not supposed to be engaging in. Why? Because God is our defender. I don't know if you know this, but King David never carried a shield. He never carried a weapon of defense. I thought that was so interesting because a shield was something that was, or a buckler, it was a smaller version, was something held very close to their heart because you couldn't keep fighting if you lost vital organs. So they, in one arm they would have a shield and in the other they would have a sword or a javelin. And he never carried a shield. He probably as king had a shield bearer, but David talked about God being his shield. He always said, there's 47 verses where he talks about God being his shield, his defense. David understood that the right fight was the one that he was anointed to win. And there will be many, many uh, uh, enemies and, and foes that would come against him that would try to engage him by the flesh or by the emotion, by the feelings. But that's not what he was anointed to win against. And we need to know what God's anointed us to do and what he has not anointed us to do. So I want to take you this morning um, to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to read quite a few verses for you um, because these are ones that we don't harp on a lot. We know about David and the giant um, and that he was a giant slayer. I'm not going to read that part because most of us know that. I will talk about it, but I do want to read a couple things for you about him being anointed, David being anointed, how he was found, and how that went. So 1 Samuel 16, 10 is where he is anointed by the prophet Samuel. So in this verse, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and he had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. 
Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. So we see that David was not the man's choice. He, he was God's choice. God had previously said to Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance. I don't look at the outward appearance. Even though David was a nice looking man, that's not what I'm looking at. I look at the heart. My measuring stick is different than yours. So what I see in David is I see a shepherd who's been faithful in the backfield. And I looked at him and said, you know what? You take really good care of your sheep, David. You anoint them with oil. I don't know if you know this, but anointing was not a king's word or even a prophet's word first. It was a shepherd's word. A shepherd would take a horn of oil and he would pour it over the head of each one of his flock. And a shepherd would take his time. He would work the oil into the little ears of the lamb. And he would rub the oil all the way into the hair on the legs that went all the way down to the hooves to the front of the body of the sheep. Why would a shepherd do that? Because uh, anointing is a word that you and I often use in the church world as, wow, they're really anointed because we equate that with charisma or some goosebumps that we get. But can I take you back to the original meaning of anointing? It means to be smeared with oil. And it meant that a shepherd was anointing his flock to protect them from predators. Now, the oil didn't stop the lion and the bear the shepherd had to do that. But there was a predator that was microscopic that the shepherd could not see. And it was a mite that would crawl up from the front feet of a sheep and it would work its way all the way up the front legs until it would get into the ear of the sheep and it would burrow into the ear of the sheep, causing a lot of pain and ultimately into the brain of the sheep, driving it mad. And one sheep would just with no warning, take off running away from the flock, which was contrary to everything in a sheep's nature, would want to be a part of a group, and it would run because something had gotten in its ear and worked its way against the flock. See, a good shepherd anoints his sheep as a sign of protection against the enemy that gets in the ear of the flock of the sheep that tries to drive it away from community and unity with what the shepherd is doing. God watched David in the backfield. He watched him do these things that seemed menial, and God said, you know what? I want a king like that. I want my people to be taken care of as well as you take care of those sheep in the backfield. I see something in you in the backfield, and I'm going to bring you from the backfield to the battlefield. I'm going to anoint you, but God didn't anoint him as warrior. God didn't anoint him as worshiper. When Samuel poured the horn of oil on his head, it wasn't to anoint him as just continuing as a shepherd. He was anointed as what? He was anointed as what? King. He was anointed to be king. And yet he had to engage in all of these other titles, jobs, and activities long before he became king, but God wanted to mark him in advance to say, this is your high calling, David. 
You will have fights. You will have battles. You will have foes. You will have enemies. You will be engaged with your own mentor will come against you. But you need to keep in mind what I've anointed you to do. Because the right fight that I've anointed you for is to keep your heart clean so you are worthy to be the king that I am calling you to be. That's the right fight. The right fight is to let me be your defense, not to take up your own cause, not to try to be defensive. See, the enemy wants to get us always on the defense. So we're worried about our reputation. We're worried about what people think about us. We're worried about taking care of, of, of the name that God's given us or, or how he's marked us or called us. And God is saying, let me worry about that. The right fight is for you to just keep your heart clean. Stay engaged with what I've anointed you to do. Keep that in front of your face at all times. So I want to take you to 14, and I'm, I don't have time to read this this morning, but this is verses 14 through 23 are very interesting here. I've, I've read about the story of David for many years, and many of you probably have, have as well, and it's easy to get the timing of David's life confused. You know, he played before Saul. We know that after he was anointed by Samuel, Saul um, gets a tormenting spirit, and someone comes to him and says, you know, I know someone who plays the lyre, the harp, really well. He's a warrior. He's a great man. He's a son of Jesse, and I can call him from the backfield, and he can come play for you. And so Saul, the king of Israel, says, sure, that would be great. So he calls David in after he's been anointed as king. David, because he is a worshiper, his worship gives him an up-close-and-personal glimpse of the throne God has just promised him. He doesn't have to battle a giant yet. He doesn't have to do any of that. Does this tell you anything prophetically about what worship will give you? God anoints you to do something, but worship will give you a glimpse of where he's taking you before you even have to fight the battles to get there. So God calls David from the backfield, puts him right in his enemy's throne room, and David plays worship, and Saul is, is not tormented. As long as David plays, uh, that spirit of torment leaves Saul. The Bible says here in verse 23 that he loves David. He takes a liking to him, so much so that he has a messenger send a note to David's father saying, can he stay with me? I'd like him to stay a while and play. Now, it sounds like he liked him, he noticed him as a worshiper and acknowledged the gift on David's life. But when we go on to read about David and Goliath, and I want, uh, if you will, turn with me to the next chapter, 17. We're going to go down to verse 28, and I'm going to go over the story really quick before I just read this one part to you. We know that David is going back and forth between Saul's uh, throne room and the backfield taking care of his sheep. So he's, he's bivocational. He doesn't get a chance to just be settled, just to choose. He has to go back and forth for a period of time. But we know that Saul called him out, that he knew him by name. He knew who his father was, at least in a loose regard, because the Bible tells us that. But then when we find out that Goliath has come against the children of Israel and all of the armies of Israel have lined up in battle lines against Goliath and the Philistines, 
What we learn here is that Jesse is an old man. David is his only son that's still at home. The oldest three are fighting with Saul. And Jesse, the father, says, I'm going to send you with some cheese and with some bread, and I'm going to send you to the battle lines. I want you to check on your brothers and see how they're doing. So he sends him as a caterer and a messenger, not as a king, no promise of grandeur. He sends him just to bring word back. He doesn't send him as a warrior either. He doesn't even see that in his son. He sends him with food. So David shows up. He hears Goliath chanting curses against the children of Israel. And David knows a predator when he sees one because he's taken down a lion and a bear. We know that because we hear David's resume in the next chapter. And he speaks to his brothers and the men around and says, what, what will the king give the man who will come against Goliath? And they, they give him the answer, and they tell him, you can marry his daughter, and you don't have taxes, and isn't this wonderful? But why are you asking? I mean, they're looking at, like, you know, Goliath, this is what's important, is when Goliath said, I defy the army of Israel, what he meant was, we are not going to line up army to army. We are going to bring this, we're going to make this personal. It's going to be one-on-one. Goliath would not allow the army to fight. He wanted one warrior to stand against him. The enemy will always tempt you to make it personal and to bring it down to a one-on-one battle. His idea is, I want to demoralize you and humiliate you in front of everyone else. This isn't about big numbers. He's going to bring it right to your front door and to challenge you with curses. And this is what David was hearing. So when David was hearing this, he asked his brother... And his friends, what will the king give? Verse 28, this is Eliab, uh, David's oldest brother. This is his answer to David. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with who did you leave, leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David. Doesn't that sound like the youngest in the family? Now what have I done now? What did I do to make you mad? David said, can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. Now I want to go into, I, I see myself in this story, and I hope that you'll join me right now. Let's just, you and I, step out of the backfield of whatever our life looks like right now, and picture we have the next big thing God has called us to. We know he's anointed us for greatness. We know that he's marked us for something. But when we are stepping up to that place in that moment of emergence, where we're coming out of the small, coming out of the unseen, you know, we served in our father's household and he didn't even bring us up when the prophet said he was there to anoint someone. We, that's how insignificant we were in our own home and household. And, and, then, and then we're anointed and we're brought in before the king in the palace and we're pretty much ignored. We're used for our gift, but, but we're not acknowledged for who we really are. Unseen. But then we step into this place where we see a prominent enemy we know that Goliath needs to come down. And I don't know if you know this, if you've ever faced a giant, I have. I've been diagnosed with cancer, and 
now six years since the Lord has healed me and restored my body. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, and I know a giant when I see one. I remember waking up every morning and there's three seconds before you remember that word and the word cancer just reigns over your life and you remember it again. If you've ever lost someone or you're grieving something, you know that feeling, those few seconds before it hits you again, what you're facing. You faced a giant. You know what I'm talking about? You faced a giant. And when you face a giant, you know that giants don't go quiet until they go down. They don't shut up. The curses don't stop until they lose their head. And David knew this. He's looking at a giant going, we have an enemy. And yet his brother, someone he would have really preferred to have affirmation and encouragement from, actually brings accusation. His, his closest brother, the closest thing to his father that would have been there, his oldest brother, says to him, I want to point this out to you because this is how the enemy speaks to you. His brother accuses him of exactly the opposite of who he is, what he's made of, and what he's there to do. The enemy comes to him as his brother, his friend, someone by blood that should care for him and says to him, I know how conceited and how wicked your heart is. This is the same heart that God is saying is the greatest hearted person who walked the planet before Jesus. God is saying, this man had a heart like mine, David, but yet his own brother says, you're wicked and conceited. Can this just give you just a little bit of room here to move around your enemy where you can see that just because he says you are something does not mean that you are, and you don't need to engage in defending yourself? If this were me in the story of, if this was Amy and Goliath, I wouldn't have ever gotten to Goliath. You know why? Because I would have stopped and started to try to talk my brother into why he was so wrong about me. I would have engaged in the wrong fight, not the fight I was anointed to fight. Because David went through these steps. He first was tempted before he ever saw Goliath. It's the fight to be seen. You know, when God is preserving you and he's veiled your identity to the people that are around you. And how do I know that David wasn't really seen? Because when David took the head of Goliath, we know that he walked out. He walked out boldly. He picked up five stones. He slung one. He didn't even need two tries. He took down Goliath, and then he took Goliath's head. He carried Goliath's head back to the children of Israel and when he did this, I don't have time to read this for you, but I will give it to you. It's, it's chapter 17, verses 55 through 58. Saul watched David go out against Goliath, and Saul turned to Abner, who was the leader of his guard. And he said to the commander, Abner, who is this young man, and whose son is he? Now, in the earlier verses... He said, I love David. Please ask his father, Jesse, if he can stay with me and if he can play the harp. This confuses us. This is one of those things when we read the Bible, we're going, but he was just in the same room with you. He just played for you. You said you liked him. Have any of you ever met someone famous before and you've met them three or four times and they don't remember that you've met them before? 
Has that ever happened where you met and you're like, they're like, nice to meet you. And you're like, uh, I, this is the fifth time that I've met you. Uh, but awesome. I'm glad to be so memorable. <laughs> no, but that's what we think. The truth is, sometimes God veils our identity. And what I want to point out here is David looked so different to Saul when he walked out as a warrior. He looked different than when Saul saw him as a worshiper. Because God was covering and protecting David so that Saul in that time, in that season, did not see David as a threat. Because the moment when David walked out against Goliath, the, the veil dropped and Saul for the first time, Saul saw David as a threat. He saw really what he was and what he was capable of. There is a season where you and I will want to engage in the fight to be seen. When God is saying, I'm trying to cover you. And you keep trying to uncover yourself because you want to be acknowledged. But I've actually been protecting and preserving you. I, I, I brought you into the palace. I want you to see how Saul operates. But I'm going to keep you under an invisibility garment. So that, yeah, he'll acknowledge your gift as a worshiper, but he's not going to see you as a warrior or as a threat to his kingdom. But there's a purpose in that. Don't fight to be seen. That's not the fight you are anointed to win when God is guarding and protecting your life. The fight for clarity is something that David had to disengage. The fight to be settled. You know, his way was in being sent from his father's house not being sent from Saul. He had to go all the way back home, and he came as a caterer bringing food and a messenger, bringing messengers. And we, God will take us, we always want to go from glory to glory, and we always see that as a ladder or a staircase. But the truth is, God will always take us back to the backfield right before he pulls us back to the battlefield because he wants us to remember where he brought us from. It's important that we remember. And David, if he would have gone straight from playing his lyre in the palace to facing Goliath, he might not have had been as bold as he needed to be about his backfield experience in taking down a lion and a bear. God took him back to his father's house to send him out. God said, I'm not sending you from Saul. You are not from Saul. You are from the house of Jesse. And I want you to remember where and when and how I anointed you. I brought you from this place. We fight to be settled sometimes because we just want things to be closed. We don't want to have to keep going back and forth. And we can lose touch with the backfield. God will keep taking you back so that you remember where your commission and anointing came from. The fight for acknowledgement. He didn't get acknowledgement from his father as a fighter. He only was acknowledged as his father, as a young boy, as the youngest of seven, as a caterer, and as a messenger. But it didn't matter what method got him to the battle. He wasn't insulted by the menial. David was not insulted by the awkward invitation to the battle. You know, many times we can look for our big break or our big breakthrough. And God is asking us to just take a meal to someone or to give them a word of encouragement. And you and I can shut that down and say, you know what? God anointed me for big things. I, taking meals and bringing back messages back and forth, I'm, I'm above that. 
And we can dismiss the invitation, the giant invitation that God is issuing to us saying, you know what, this might look small to you, but I'm preserving you, I'm protecting you, and your invitation isn't elaborate, and it doesn't look like it came from the palace, but it came from the king of kings, and I have made a way for you to come straight to the battlefield, and I want the David, the shepherd David, to show up. So the fight for acknowledgement can keep us from answering the right invitations. The fight to set the record straight. When his brothers accused him in front of others, they misjudged his motives. They humiliated him. They didn't just say it to him alone. They said it in front of all of the other warriors. And David, in that moment, if I were David, I would have been more concerned than a giant that was screaming at me. I would have been more concerned about the people close to me that weren't happy that I, I saw that I wanted to offer help with something, that they would see something in me that wasn't there. And, you know, this has been a confrontational word for me, and I believe this is a word for you today, is giant slayers have haters. And not everyone is going to be happy when you step into your strength and anointing. You will offend someone. David's brother was offended by David stepping into the knowledge that God brought me to this battle. He skilled and equipped me for it, and he has anointed me for this fight to stand against this giant. And it's not going to make the people around you happy. They may not applaud you. They might unfollow you on Instagram or Facebook because you make certain declarations and you put yourself out there because of the anointing. You know you're not anointed to engage in a fight to make things right or to put the record straight. David knew in that moment, I can get lost trying to defend my motives. I know my heart is pure. I could try to convince my brothers that my heart is pure. I could try to win this case. But he realized this is a battle beyond words. I'm going to shut my mouth, and I'm going to go face a giant. And once I take a giant, there's no need for arguing. Because what they just accused me of is that I just showed up as a spectator, and I'm about to show them that that is not why I'm here at all. Let God be your defense. People will twist your words. They will misjudge you. They will malign you. They will speak against your motives. You are not anointed to fight that battle in your own defense. You are not supposed to be a weapon of defense. You are actually supposed to be offensive. Did you know that? If God doesn't want you to be defensive then the only thing left is for you to be a weapon in the hand of God. So he's saying, I want you to be doing, moving forward. I want you to be offending. Yes, I want you to offend the head of the giant of Goliath. I want you to take down that ideology that is standing against your generation. And I've anointed you to do it. Don't engage in these small battles and these little things that come against you that attack your character or that cause you to question whether or not you're anointed to do what you know you're anointed to do. And the next thing, there are so many battles that came against the life of David that he had to fight to keep his heart clean when the fighting got dirty. But I'm only going to take you to the ones that led up to the battle against Goliath. Not even after that battle, which there were many more 
fights that he was tempted to engage in. But the one I want to take you to is the fight to fit in or to prove your value. You know, in the next verses, before he stood against Goliath, um, it tells us in chapter 16 that along with worshiping in the palace, that one of David's jobs for King Saul was to be an armor bearer. He carried the armor of the king. That's a, tr- that's a person that's trusted in the house of the king. He spent time with Saul, and yet Saul really didn't recognize him until he saw him in a new light. When David stepped up and said, I can take this predator, I can take Goliath, I know an enemy of the sheep when I see one. I've taken the lion and I've taken the bear, and this is how I did it, and I did it all by myself. The battle was the Lord's, but he gave the lion into the, and the paw of the lion into my hand, and he delivered me from the paw of the lion and gave the lion into my hand. David, it is said, wore the garment of the lion. Did you know that? So he's wearing his victory. He's emblazoned with his own victory. And he stands in front of Saul, and Saul, you know, we look at this and we can think, his brothers just spoke against him. And then he's carried to Saul because he's bragging about being able to take Goliath, or at least wanting to try to, and Saul offers David his armor. Now, we know from chapters before that Saul was head and shoulders taller than anyone else in Israel. So his armor, and David was short, would not have fit David. So having offering it to David and David walking around in Saul's armor would have been entertainment for the troops. Saul was mocking David. Because when you put someone's armor on, it would be like a child trying to wear his father's shoes. It's funny. There's nothing that looks victorious about it. Saul was trying to take him down a notch to show him, you, you are not equipped. If I'm not walking out against him, how do you believe you can? And David says in that moment, he doesn't engage in the fight to fit in. Because if he wanted to fit in, he could have taken armor that he didn't know anything about, had never won him a victory with that armor and not use what he had won on the backfield, on the battlefield. And see, the enemy wants to tempt us to engage in a battle and to use a weapon we are not accustomed to just because we, need, we have something to prove and we need to fit in with the people around us. And what we don't understand is the enemy is mocking us, saying, if you're going to give up the slingshot for the sword and you're going to take the king's armor just because you need to prove to your brothers that you have some kind of alignment with the king or approval of the king, you're going to miss your moment because Goliath was looking for something shiny. Pride is shiny. And when David came out with the hair of an animal wearing a garment of an animal that he took its life and just the rudimentary, very archaic weapons he had from the backfield were just rocks. And, and just a sling. Nothing glamorous about that in that moment. He could have engaged in the wrong fight, and he could have fought to, to fit in, just to hush up his brothers, just to show I, I, I've got somebody on my team that believes in me, when in actuality Saul was one of David's greatest enemies. The enemy will place 
put people in your life, and I, I, I don't want you to be paranoid because we don't fight against flesh and blood. It's a spirit. But the enemy wants to set you up to where you feel you have something to prove. And he'll put some, someone in your life that starts measuring you by their own armor, by what looks good on them. Well, you need to have this. Well, you're not really prepared to face the giant because you don't have these things that I have. And the way that you stand up against your enemy and you don't engage in the fight against someone who's trying to measure you against their anointing is you step into your own and you say, you know, I, I don't know about that breastplate and I don't know about that sword, but I do know that I use this little sling and I took the life of a lion who was charging me and I took the life of a bear. I do know that these weapons have worked in my private time of prayer. I do know that when I cry out to the Lord when I'm all alone, that this voice and this heart align with him. And I know that the battle is his because I know that he fights for me and I won't stand in your identity and I won't even stand in my own, but I'm going to stand against the enemy and say, it is not by my might or by my power, but by the spirit of the Lord and the battle is the Lord's. And I won't engage in a fight with my enemy that I am not anointed to win. Our enemy wants to challenge us to give up our high calling. And David, if he would have settled for any of these smaller fights, he would have, he would have given up his right to the anointing to be king. A lot of times you and I can get weary with battles. We can get tired and we can misunderstand the resistance that's come against us and think that perhaps God is against us. Maybe he really hasn't prepared something good for us. How could this all work for my good? And God is saying this, you know, the backfield to the palace, the, the, the lack of acknowledgement, the fact that you feel hidden and covered, all of these things that you could take as a negative, they're actually my preservation and protection. I have hidden you from those that would see you as a threat so that I could equip you and prepare you with a different set of skills and weapons because I want to keep the purity that's in your heart and in your life. I don't want Saul and the, and the belief system of Saul and the defensiveness and paranoia of Saul to become who you are. I don't want you to wear that armor. I want you to stay yielded and open, open-hearted and vulnerable to me. And if we will allow God to be our shield and our defense, I believe he is going to bring you through these, these battles and situations, and you're not even going to know how the battle was won. You're just going to be able to celebrate. You don't need to, you need to step out of engaging with having to defend your reputation or things that are set against you. Allow God to be your defense. And when you carry the head of a giant around, there is no arguing anybody can do against the anointing that's on your life. You know, be about what God has anointed you to do. Father, I thank you right now that you're speaking to your people. We've engaged in so many battles that are beneath us that we've lost sight of what our authentic, true, high calling and anointing is. And Lord, I thank you that you're bringing us back right now into focus with what the right fight is. And the right fight, the one we are anointed to win, is to keep our heart clean even when the fighting gets dirty, even when mud is thrown at us, even when the people we care about the most don't acknowledge or even see the anointing on us or the potential in us.
Lord, I thank you right now that we are lowering our defenses with you. That with you, you are our shield, but we have to be yielded to you as the shield. Our heart has to be aligned with your purpose. And Lord, I thank you right now that you're bringing clarity to every backfield experience that we've had. Everything that we have taken as a trophy in the backfield, you are using that to bring us and ushering us into a place of invitation to take down our giant. And you would not bring us face to face with a giant if you didn't already want to give us everything Goliath has. You set us up to win, not set us up to fail. And Lord, we trust you. We lean into your spirit. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit prophetically this morning is calling us back to the right fight and away from the ones that are distractions, away from the ones that are stealing from our higher anointing and calling. Remind us, Lord, of that kingly and queenly anointing that you've covered us in. Remind us of where you found us and what you promised us, what you spoke over us. And I thank you, Father, this morning that this word is just like the oil on the head of each little sheep in the flock of David, that this word is going to penetrate. It's going to be so saturated in our ears that when the enemy is trying to speak to us and he tries to get in our ear, all we do is just look at him and say, I can't hear what you're saying. I can't hear you. I'm so covered in anointing. I can't hear what you're saying. I'm prepared. I'm protected. I'm preserved for the anointing that God has for me. In Jesus' name, we thank you that your word always brings affirmation and healing. It brings restoration. It calls us to a place of repentance, which means to return to the top, to return to the ultimate anointing in our lives. We do that. We repent, Father, for throwing ourselves down into the mud with the enemy and wrestling with him over those pity little small things. We thank you, God, that the small things will take care of themselves. We're going to stand up and face the giant that you've equipped us to take down. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.